0: A swing a Deep left.
1: Goal! Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined today by J.J. Cooper. J.J., we have officially reached mid-season of the minor leagues. All-star games all across the lower levels, at least, have taken place. You were just in South Bend, Indiana for the Midwest League All-Star game. I was just in San Bernardino, California for the California League All-Star Game. Uh, Kind of an interesting demarcation point for us here at BA. We're getting ready to roll out our midseason top prospect update. Uh, We're gonna see a lot of changes, a lot of guys graduating, a lot of new guys moving in. Uh, But one of the fun things about going to the All-Star Games is seeing a lot of the best players on the field at the same time. And while it is an All-Star Game, you never wanna go crazy over one thing you see there uh, in kind of an exhibition environment. This is also a time where you see some guys start to pop up. Uh, I know every year I go to an All-Star game, someone who you haven't heard of does something well and then a month later I see him get moved in into trade. I feel like it happens every year. Uh, so it is informative and instructive. Uh, JJ, the Midwest League is obviously, you know, real, for a lot of the guys there, this is their first foray into full season ball. Mm-hmm. They've shown they can handle it by making the All-Star game, uh, particularly in the Midwest League. where. It's very, very cold early on. What for you were the biggest takeaways from your experience up in South Bend, both in terms of the individual players and kind of larger themes?
0: Um, the, the big thing that stood out probably more than anything was, so last year I was at the South Atlantic League All-Star game. And one of the things that really stood out was just how terrible the pitching was <laughs> at that game. Like, and it wasn't, I mean, not just me saying it, but in talking to scouts that were there, you know, look, it's not all about velocity. I'm not trying to make it sound like it is, but it is partly about velocity. In, if you give me two guys and everything else is equal and one of them throws 88 and one of them throws 98, give me the guy who throws 98. And last year, there were very few guys, very few guys, 95 or above. And so I was kind of interested to see, you know, last two years, Carolina League game I saw two years ago, similar story, you know, and... The Midwest League All-Star Game—that was not a problem at all. There was a whole lot of velo. Um, probably I haven't—I haven't counted everyone, but probably nine pitchers who were 95 or above. Wow. Braylon Marquez touched 100. Um, touched 100. He was not the most impressive pitcher there. When you talk about you know guys, kind of you see a guy who you really you know didn't know that much about or weren't you know wasn't on your radar that much. Eric Marinez with the A's is the guy for me, converted position player, his first year really as a pitcher, and he was filthy. I mean, he came in, bottom of the eighth inning, three batters, three strikeouts, he was 96-97, but it was this, I would describe it without getting a chance to talk to him afterwards to ask it, but I, what what I would describe as a split change, maybe just a splitter, but it was like 90 miles an hour, and... Also threw. I mean, and hitters had no chance against it, and it just stood out as like a guy who, okay, that's a good arm, and he had some, you know, a little bit of feel for a for again a guy new to pitching. Obviously, was not the only guy there who really stood out, but it was like overall, the pitching was really impressive. Another thing that stood out was the Marlins. You know, the Marlins have again. The, Marlins fans, there's not have been a whole lot to hope for in a long time. And I'm not going to tell you that this Midwest League All-Star roster changes all that. I mean, I know it's still a tough time to be a Marlins fan. You're, they're clearly the worst team in their division. And there's no clear path for them to be, like, there's no real scenario where you say, okay, I could see in 2021 them being the best in that division. Now, this is going to be, and we talked about this when I
1: did my rebuilds package uh, for BA here a couple years ago. When you strip something down to the level the Marlins do, it is a minimum, and I mean a minimum, five years, really the, the fifth season after the uh, teardown, four years, five seasons, is really the absolute earliest you can expect any success. So considering they really completed the teardown with the trade of Real Muto this past year, it's going to be 2024 before they're good again as a team, but we've seen they can still start to bring up some young guys and, and have some talent in that system, which they haven't had for a while. Um, who were the best Marlins guys well, out there for you?
0: The, the guy who stands out, uh, the right fielder Gerard Canarcion, who, you know, again, there is a long way between the Midwest League and, and the big leagues for him, but you are talking about a hitter with significant physicality present, like you're not asking to project there. Like you're just saying right now you've got it. And then on top of that you have like, he showed easy oppo power. Now a frustration, no infield, no BP, no chance to see these guys do anything as a hitter or as a position player, except for what they did in the game. So it was a a more limited look than you'd normally get to see. That said, easy oppo power. Um, you know, got the bump up to, uh, I believe, to high A after the game, but has shown some power in the Midwest League in the first half this year. Something there. Chris Valamont uh, started the, uh, you know, the, the game for, uh, you know, for the, uh, I guess that would be the West All-Stars, I believe. And 91-92, but with solid, you know, feel, uh, a good ability to kind of mix pitches. Umberto Mejia was interesting. Uh, the, the translation is, is they had multiple guys who you're like, oh, okay, there may be something there. And I say that because I go to a lot of low class A All-Star games, there have not been many Marlins I can say that about last year or the year before or the year before that. So that's one of the things that stood out. And the last one to me that really did jump out was just, it's not the first year that ha- for this to happen. I think the Eastern League did it for the first time in 2015. But the tie All-Star game that gets settled by a home run derby <laughs> was something that the fans loved, the players enjoyed. And I can say on social media, I've yet to... There is nothing on social media that you put out there that everyone approves of. But it seems like the, All- the home run derby to finish an All-Star game instead of a tie is the one where everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Because... Again, we're not talking about that game was not going another three innings. They did not have the pitching to do it. They settled it within five minutes. It was interesting. It was both, you know, like, I mean, it was something you don't normally get to see. You had both teams kind of out there on in foul territory watching this. And when uh, Chris Bat starts hitting, needing two home runs only to win it in 90 seconds, but he pops up and he doesn't connect with like the first six pitches. And the opposing team is, they start going crazy. They're like trying to get in his head. It was a situation unlike you see in almost any baseball game ever. It was cool. It was fun. Everyone enjoyed it. And I would say yay to the home run derby to settle a tie All-Star game. It certainly does make for, for an entertaining finish much
1: more so than a tie. There were a lot of really, really impressive prospects in this game, particularly in middle infielders. You have Xavier Edwards, the Padres system, Bryce Terang with the Brewers. Uh, we obviously have Wander Franco, the new number one prospect in baseball, uh, Blaze Alexander, who's a nice middle infielder in the Diamondback system. I do want to start with Franco. You saw him go 0 for 3 with two strikeouts, and it's interesting because, again, it's an all-star game. You never want to go crazy about anything. But it's notable because one of the signature selling do points that. for Wander Franco... Is he not only doesn't strike out, he rarely swings and misses. You had an article about that earlier this year where he went. Had one last year, too, because in so, the Appy
0: League, it was true, too. Yeah.
1: Which which is funny, because when I went up and saw him the Appy League, I saw him swing and miss and we're, strike, we're strike out. And apparently you go, and you see him swing and miss and strike out. We're a curse. Yeah, I mean, I, again, you never want to go crazy. It's an all-star game. Anything at all you can, you can take from that?
0: I'll say, like, the things that stood out to me, you know, which – None of it's surprising because he's really, really good. But yes, I know he struck out, um, and that's surprising. That said, the bat speed. The really one of the things that stood out was the ability to make like late decisions, and really to foul this to spoil a pitch. Like he has the ability to. Seemingly, like okay, he's letting that one go, and then like to flick his hands, and okay, you know what? I'm protecting the zone on that one. I'm gonna get the next one, which I can't. I get over. I can't get over. He's 18. The other thing that stands out, and talk to some people about this, Chris Betts, uh, who was the you know the star of the you know the two days, the home run derby and the winning the home run derby to win the game. But he's a teammate. You know, they're bowling great. They're teammates at Bowling Green, and him just talking about. What an impressive teammate Wander Franco is. And we saw that like at the Home Run Derby. Wander Franco wasn't in the Home Run Derby, but he was living and dying with every swing that Chris Betts had. And talking to Betts afterwards, he said, like, that's not different than, like, if anyone on our team does something good during a game, Wander Franco is going to be one of the ones, you know, leading the celebration of it. Like, it's not just all about him. He's an 18-year-old who's, a, who's got kind of leadership skills, too, which that's one of the things that's always enjoyable to see at these kind of things is he, he has a confidence about him, uh, you know, that is unusual for someone that age. Um, again, he's there with a lot of guys who are a lot older than him, and he fits in. He, it does, not, he does not seem like the young guy trying to figure out how to handle it. It's, that's not a problem at all. Just stood out really impressive, you know, again, it was a good event. South Bend put up, did a very good job. They sold that place out basically for the All Star Game, which is, you know, it's something that you see done, but it's not always done by any stretch of the imagination. Really good crowd there both days with the uh, Home Run Derby and and the uh, the game. You know, but so that was the one I got to see. Got to see, uh, you know, South Bend. So you are just back. You got to be a little more jet lagged than I am, but you just got back from. Uh, in California so what did you see at the Cal what stood out from the Cal Lake All-Star game?
1: Yeah so I wrote about this that uh, it really was a pitcher dominant game from the North perspective uh, but it, in terms of individual players the two guys that really jumped out to me and uh, also as the scouts of the event you know who we were talking throughout um, Elliot Ramos with the Giants this was someone that was on our top 100 uh, going into his first full season had fallen off of it struggled a little bit with Augusta last year but you talked to scouts who were seeing him in the South Atlantic League and they still saw the tools. It was just a very young kid. He was young for the draft class, coming from Puerto Rico, really just trying to, to get everything in sync. Uh, we've seen him this year in the Cal League. And again, before you say Hitters League, Hitters League, Hitters League, he's in San Jose. He's playing in the North Division, which are all pitchers' parks. Which, Not only like neutral, they're like, pitchers'
0: parks. And do remember when we say Cal league, Cal league, Cal League also, we've taken one of the greatest hitters' parks. In baseball and removed it from the league for a couple years now too. Beyond
1: just that, Bakersfield was third. It went High Desert, Lancaster, Bakersfield. So two of the top three are gone. Matt Eddy here at Baseball America actually had a midseason Park Factors update. You can check it out online now. And six of the eight Cal League stadiums lean pitcher-friendly now. So especially in the North Division. That's, I mean,
0: that is a, a, this is, it used to be, the PCL and the Cal League were like in a whole different world. And now, by the way, it's the PCL and the IL are in a whole different by world. Like,
1: the Carolina League blows the Cal League away now in terms of hitters par- hitter-friendly parks. And because
0: they've added, they've added some parks. That, yeah. So, But going back to Ramos, um,
1: just in the All-Star game, you saw bat speed, there's physicality. And he's moving really well. He's a bigger, thicker guy. He doesn't look like he should be able to play center field. Um, but he had a, a ball uh, straight back, You know, very tough play for a center fielder went back, leapt at the warning track, made the catch, slammed into the wall. So you just see all the things. You see physicality, you see youth, you see tools both offensively and defensively. You see a good athlete. Um, he's someone who definitely stood out from that game. On the pitching side, Ryan Rolison, uh just looks the part of, of the lefty you wanna see. Uh, fastball both sides of the plate, really the slider. He's able to backfoot his slider to right-handed hitters, which is so key for a lefty. And, again, college guy, but, you know, he's exactly where he should be. He started right. the year. High
0: A, high a the, in, at the
1: midpoint of your first full pro season is not, you know. Yeah, he's handled himself very well pitching in Lancaster, which while we say, you know, the Cal League is not the hitter's league it used to be, Lancaster still is one of the single most hitter-friendly parks in all of minor league baseball. Absolutely. All things considered, a four-two-three 3 ERA pitching your home games in Lancaster, that's great. He's done a really good job just in that context, and, again when you look for you know a big league looking lefty you know you can just kind of say yeah this is absolutely a guy that you take in the back of the first round and you see the components to succeed there um so those are the two guys who are kind of main prospect name guys unfortunately a lot of the the best prospects uh, were not in this game joey bart was not in the game because he's been hurt Uh, Jared Kalanick and Logan Gilbert were mid-season promotions. They did not participate because they hadn't played in the league very long. Luis Patino was snubbed from the All-Star team. I don't get why or how, but he was. Uh, Mackenzie Gore didn't pitch. So a lot of the big-name prospects did not participate. Um, But there was one guy who I had heard his name. So I was out in the Cali for a week before this, and I had heard his name start being bandied about by, by some managers some coaches. Oliver Ortega in the Angels system, and I'd seen the numbers, and hey, he's pitching pretty well, um, and I heard when I was out there someone say, yeah, he's up to 98. I was like, really? This is not someone who is on the Angels' top 30. This is not someone who was ever really in a prospect discussion prior to this. Well, he comes out in the All-Star game, 95-98, with a hammer power breaking ball. He's landing four strikes in the zone. Uh, got two quick strikeouts, again, just one inning of work. It was eye-popping. Um, we've talked a lot about the Angels have really improved their farm system. Uh, you remember me coming back from opening week Cali last year. I was like, guys, Griffin Canning is a monster. And oh, by the way, this chubby lefty named Jose Suarez is really good too. A year later, they're in the majors. They've been two of the Angels' best starters. You know, Ortega, it's a more of a reliever delivery, and people do expect that to be the ultimate outcome. But it's another good arm, this, this Angels system. He was probably the quote-unquote under-the-radar guy. That I came out of that game thinking like, hey, this is someone that you know, we need to start paying attention to. Um, but the best guy I saw all week. So I did the Cali game, but I was out there the week before uh, sitting on a series between Ranch Cucamonga and Lake Elsinore. Now when I say best guy, I saw Mackenzie Gore. He is the best guy. He, let's get that yeah. out of the way. Um, but the guy beyond him that was really, really eye-opening was Josiah Gray. You know I'm a fan. This was uh, that Friday night game, Ranch Cucamonga, Lake Elsinore. Josiah Gray versus Mackenzie Gore. Big matchup, a lot of scouts came in. A lot of scouts were there for the series, but some extra guys came in to watch this matchup. Josiah Gray, 93-96, held 95 miles an hour into the seventh inning. It's the type of fastball you can live on. You can ride a fastball up to the majors. It had life, it had movement, swing and miss, threw it for strikes, both sides of the plate held the velocity. Uh, Just really impressive to see. Again, he's a Division II, cold weather, only started pitching full-time last year, and he's already got a fastball. You can see riding him to the major leagues, and he snapped off some sliders, too, that were really impressive. Not 100% consistency, but he snapped off one or two. It's like, yeah, that's a 55, 60-grade slider. So you have a plus fastball, above average to plus breaking ball. Changeup still needs work, but that'll come. You see a fastball, you can live on, potential for a really good breaking ball, athleticism, durability, and just the competitiveness. Uh, when I talked to him after the game, you know, he and his manager talked about a primetime matchup with one of the best prospects in baseball. That's the moment he lives for. So even if he even if the chain of development stalls and he ends up in the bullpen, okay. Well, if it's 93-96 as a starter, what 96-99 in the bullpen with a slider and that competitive fire to be a high leverage guy either way this goes the dodgers have themselves a really good pitching prospect
0: yeah i mean and you know again has i there's a reason to think that there's more to come more than the average college pitcher his age because of the background i mean this was a shortstop who dabbled in pitching until really last year so it's a it's a fresh arm it's a he's athletic uh you know Again, D, you know, D two guy who's uh, done good, done very well from upstate New York. I mean,
1: cold weather. It's, it's there's 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 a lot to dream on. This is not a guy who has peaked in any way, shape, or form, which is exciting. You know, Jeter Downs looked solid when I saw him. Um, Esther Ruiz, uh, I saw Elsinore for uh, three or four games in April, and you know when it's an April look, it's like, okay, this is where they are. It's always important to see what they look like a few months later, what the improvements made are. Uh, Esther Ruiz looks a lot better. Uh, you wanted to see certain improvements made over these two months, he's made it. He had a long home run in the All-Star game, turned on a pitch up and in, uh, kind of almost at his eyes, and sent it long way to left field. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad? That's a, it's a debatable point. You know, and, and that's that was the thing with him. Um, it's an all-star game. P- Plate discipline early did not look good, even in the context of a 20-year-old playing in the Cal League. But you wanted to see improvements made, and you saw them throughout the, that four or five-game series with Ranch Cucamonga. Um, there's always been power there. No one's doubted that. There's really, really fantastic base-running instincts. Um, he looked really good. Again, the improvements you wanted to see made were made you know, Luis Camposano, when I was there in April, of all those position players at Elsinore, Esther Ruiz, Tristan Rondellis, Gabriel Arias, that everyone loved to talk about. It's like Camposano is the best of those guys. That was pretty clear in April. It's like, okay, you know, let's see how, and the season unfolds and looks like it's staying that way. And you go back in June and I wrote about him like, yeah, I mean, those guys are all talented. This isn't to say they aren't good, but Camposano a cut above and that's, the coaches see it. The scouts see it. I mean, that's... He was that's
0: a, a dude coming out, you know, first catcher, draft.
1: First catcher drafted in his draft class. So I think those are the biggest takeaways for me. The Ulster game itself, Elliot Ramos and Ryan Rolison. In terms of individual players, you know, Josiah Gray, Luis Camposano. Uh, Mackenzie Gore obviously did what Mackenzie Gore does. We saw oh, him... I going
0: to say, but let's not, you know, so Mackenzie Gore did what Mackenzie Gore does. But what, you know, what stood out to you? Because people went on... We can't t- tease them with Mackenzie Gore. Like, we talked Wander Franco. We need to talk a little bit of Mackenzie Gore. Sure. So uh, my second time seeing him, I also saw him in April and wrote about him then.
1: You can see that article on Baseball America. Uh, just such a really, really good athlete. The high leg kick. But what he does is he gets such tremendous extension. His fastballs, 91 to 96. Um, it'll sit. First time that I saw him, it was sitting more 3-4. Sometimes it'll sit more 2-3. But... The fastball plays up because, as one Scott put it, it's a 53-foot fastball. He gets so much extension, it gets on the hitter so quickly. You know, They think they're on it, and they're swinging, the ball's already behind them. Um, so it's, it's a fastball that really plays, has some life. Curveball is slider, and I've heard this many times that some days this curveball's better, sometimes this slider's better. First outing I saw, the curveball was better. This last outing, the slider was better. They each will you know show you the velocity and, and shape and snap to be plus pitches changeup he doesn't throw it all that often but when it's right it's another plus pitch and there's all the control and command you could want um well i say that you know it's interesting He had three no hit innings nine up nine down and then he actually walked the bases loaded to start the fourth and again it's just a blip you know there are certain moments where fastball command i don't want to say loses it but it goes down a tick but that happens to every pitcher alive where, hey, there's mm-hmm. an inning for whatever reason. They lose their feel for something and watch, watch the major leagues, it happens at every level. And, you know, base was loaded, no outs. He worked out of it, got a strikeout, uh, sack fly and another strikeout. So he's got all the stuff to succeed. He's got the composure to succeed. He's got the, uh, the assassin's mentality, as, as one evaluator put it, to succeed that all true front of the rotation pitchers have. You know, this was someone that a lot of people thought in the 2017 draft was the most talented player in that draft, mm-hmm. even though he did not go number one overall.
0: They were, often often is not the case that they do, I and mean, again, especially for a high school guy,
1: uh, a high school pitcher, especially. Mm-hmm. And going down last year in Fort Wayne, even though the blister issues happened, the numbers didn't look great. Everyone you talked to said, you know what? It's still there. It just the blisters really affected him. But you saw it, and this year in the Cali, it's been dominant. Um, again, just.
0: Yeah, we have a piece uh, Josh Norris did in the. Uh, they'll be up at baseballamerica.com real soon. This is also in the issue that we just sent to press, uh, talking about you know the that there's this this group of it, it's really a pitching dominated uh, top of our prospect list now, and which is in recent years unusual, and it's it's interesting. You mentioned the top of our list because we
1: talked about Franco, we talked about Gore. I know I've had this conversation with a bunch of scouts and also going around and watching, uh, just you know, doing our jobs and, and seeing as much baseball as we're seeing, there's no question the quality of play in the minor leagues has taken a step back and it's pretty noticeable. Like other oh, scouts talked about it, and like even I can see it. You know, it's last week and I saw some really, really, really ugly defense, even for high A standards. And I can't tell you, I mean, every single scout call I have ends with the miners are rough right now. And, and then,
0: yeah, it's, it's, there's just less talent. Like, I, I mean, right now, it is not every top 100 is created equal. And if you said, would you rather have two years ago top 100 than this year's, two years ago, last year's.
1: And that's one of the interesting developments. Um, again, we've talked about this within our office. and just peeling the curtain back here for our listeners. I feel like this year it's... Harder to come up with a hundred top hundred guys than it has been in past years and and talk to evaluators around the game They're seeing the same thing of you know, hey, we've got this top group but the top group now wouldn't have been the top group three years ago and Whereas before you know, you could get to 60 or 70 before you thought you were starting to make some stretches now it feels like you're starting to make some stretches at 40 or 50 and you know there's a I've asked, okay, why is this? Because you see it, we see it. Clearly, there's something up here. The only thing that differentiates is the theory behind it. Some will point to guys are getting moved up to the majors faster than ever. I'd
0: push back on that one because they, they, back, be. back then it was Jose Tabata who got promoted quickly. So, like, I, I would argue there's no actual reason to it. It's just that there's not a standard, uh, like— You see it as a natural ebb and flow. There always have been. You know, we had a stretch a while back. I mean, like, this is at least the third trough we've had in my time at Baseball America where, like, the reality is, is that more, I would say, as much as anything also, we're comparing to, we've said, like, the top five coming into this year, the top five coming into last year Acuna, were Ohtani, exceptional. Acuna, like Vladdy Guerrero, Eloy Jimenez. They're exceptional. And so you don't have that every year. Now we are right now at the, a mechanical trough of prospects because we have graduated the Eloy Jimenez, Fernando Tatis Jr. the top of this list that we had before the season. And it'll be July is when we'll work in the draftees, and July too, but they're not, but you know, you'll work those in. So from that standpoint, we've graduated without replacing yet so like from the just the mechanics of it we're at the point right now where we don't get to talk about Adley Rushman and what he's doing in the minors yet because he's not in the minors yet but we do get we don't get to talk about Eloy Jimenez or Fernando Tatis either because they're in the majors and they've graduated so we are in that but I mean beyond that there are just our times like the other part of it is is that we are like if you said I would say in general I, I think you agree with me like I know for me I feel more comfortable about our list when it's hitters. Like, when we talked about coming into, let's just say last year, because I thought last year was really exceptional. It's like, okay, we think Acuna, Otani, and Guerrero are all just like... Franchise caliber superstars. Yes. And they were all, again, Otani's case, he did both, but they were all hitters. Now, in Otani's case, he also pitched. This year, we talked about coming into the year. We're like, you know... It's hard to feel much better than when you've got Guerrero, Tatis, and Eloy Jimenez leading the way. And by the way, we've also got guys like Nick Senzel and also that are right behind them. Okay. All these hitters. Right now, when we talk about the most interesting guys in the minors, a lot of them are, it's like, okay, well, you know, Mackenzie Gore is really good and Casey Mize, Looked really good. Okay, now he's on the DL. IL, excuse me, IL. Hazel yeah, Sluzardo looks really good, but he's just back from the IL.
1: Nate Pearson, who has had injury problems before,
0: although some of it was more freak. Of but Na- right, Nate but still, like and Nate Pearson, who's throwing two innings and outing every other outing right now. So, Forrest Whitley came into the year great, you know, and then had a disaster of a first half. And so, so the reality of it is, is that Yeah, there's more risk when, I mean, we both love Mackenzie Gore, but if you're asking me to what's my certainty level over Eloy Jimenez or Mackenzie Gore, you know, which were you more certain is going to have a long, successful career? Well, I'm going to go with the hitter every time because there's so many fewer things that can derail them. We've seen
1: time and time again. The pitchers, just the risk factor is is exponentially more significant. And that's where it, this gets tricky. Um, I will say, look, you look at the the top of the list, look, Wander Franco, excellent. Joe Adele, excellent. Mackenzie Gore, excellent. There, there are still some premium guys, but it is fair to say that top three doesn't match the top three of two years ago. It's interesting. Some of it's going to be ebb and flow. Some of it, there's a kernel of truth. but. We've got a half season left, and this is where a lot of guys uh, develop and get better, so we'll see what happens. But uh, JJ, thank you for joining us. We're gonna bring on Josh Norris now to talk a little bit about everything he's seen at the midpoint of the season. Josh, uh, thank you again so much for joining us. We're at the midpoint of the minor league season. Uh, JJ and I discussed some of the top performers uh, that we saw this past week. You did not get a chance to go out to an all-star game due to mother nature. But Josh, even though you didn't see an all-star game, you've been out and about a lot this year. And now that we have hit the all-star break of the minor league season, it seems like a good time to go back and reflect a little bit. JJ spoke about some best players he saw. I talked about some of the best players I saw out west, both this last trip and, and previous trips. Who for you has really impressed you. You've seen a lot of South Atlantic League Baseball. Uh, you've seen a lot of International League Baseball. You've seen a good chunk of Carolina League Baseball. At this point in the season, who are the brand name prospects who have impressed you? And then also maybe some guys who aren't the biggest names that are getting thrown around, but there's real talent there.
2: Um, let's see. Who, who are my favorites this year? I mean, I've only gotten to see two starts of his, but Brendan McKay was really good.
1: You did see him uh, against Aaron Judge and John Yes, Carole I got Stanton. to see
2: him carve up $350 million worth of Major Leaguer. <laughs> um, they went one, uh, 0 for 4 against him. He struck him out three times, uh, all three on breaking balls, two looking, one swinging. In one sequence, he threw st- three consecutive breaking balls to Stanton and got him to swing over all three of them. And then the second sequence, it was uh, looking curve balls on the outside corner for both of them. Which was impressive because he wasn't really commanding his fastball to his arm side that day, but he still managed to send two, you know, brand name big league stars back to the bench. He's been an impressive young man. I mean, I wrote, just finished a story about him, Casey Mize, Nate Pearson, and Mackenzie Gore, who I'm sure you talked about in an earlier segment of this podcast, um, and how they are four of the best parts of the pitching class that's coming up. Now that Tatis and Eloy and Vladdy have all graduated, not to say nothing of Senzel and Austin Riley, uh, probably by the time you hear this podcast, um, it's pitchers coming behind Wander Franco. But Brendan McKay has been very good. Um, He's on a pretty tight pitch count lately. I mean, I think he's like 65, 70 pitches per game. It's been about five innings per start all the way through. Yep, and I think that's by design. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the Rays are in the playoffs or the playoff stretch in August. If he's up there helping make a difference. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was used behind an opener in that game, Jacob Cronenworth, who, you know, uh, we, we said Brendan McKay is no Shohei Otani, but um, you got the Midwest League or the, uh, the International League batting leader hitting 350 and also pitching. So maybe that's a little closer, just kind of tongue in cheek the there. In the International League. In International League. I, I stubbed my uh, uh, speech there.
1: McKay's interesting because I remember on his draft night phone call, he mentioned straight up that the Twins had contacted him about being the number one overall pick, uh, and it was a money issue. That it was, you know, he you know they wanted to go under slot, he wasn't willing to do that, so the Twins obviously went in another direction. Uh, this is someone who was a premium, premium prospect, went fourth overall to the Rays, but very easily could have been the number one overall pick that draft, uh, was college player of the year here at BA. I know you've seen him, and you talked to scouts about him. I've talked to scouts about him, and what's come up is, you know, he came up as you know he's going to play be a two way guy. He'll do both. What's come up is this is really just a pitcher, but it's a really good pitcher. Uh, we've both gotten some some number two quality starters, which yeah, it's the that, only
2: number I've gotten is number two starter. Every I've time. gotten
1: soft two, hard three, but essentially yes, there's a there's a at the very least a very strong level of confidence among the consensus of evaluators. This is a front of the rotation left-hander.
2: Yeah, no, he's he's impressive. He's since that piece, he's not going to throw 97, 98 miles an hour. He's not going to have the 70 bre- breaking ball to wipe you out with, but he's going to get you out. He's going to get you out a lot. And he's going to be a guy who pitches toward the mid or front of a rotation, depending on how you want to define a number 2 starter uh, for a lot of years if everything goes well. Um, you know, he's He's probably behind Gore in the best arms I've seen this year. Uh, you know, Gore was a little different setting. It was uh, minor league spring training. Things were a little different there, obviously facing a little worse competition than McKay's facing in uh, international league, whether or not it's Stanton and Judge or just regular international league hitters. Another um, guy uh, I saw, I went up to Trenton. I drove 11 hours up to Trenton and 12 hours back from Trenton to see Casey Mize and Matt Manning. and. Mize, I I got there in the third inning, but what I saw was pretty good for two and a half innings or whatever it was, two two and a third, two two thirds innings. Um, he was impressive. It's a high effort delivery with a lot of really hard stuff. I mean, fast four seam fastball, two seam fastball, cut fastball, split fingered fastball, slurve, and you know there's no real uh, there's nothing real soft about it. It's hard stuff and it's going to break all sorts of different directions. And he up until his shoulder started barking had been getting, um, had been doing very, very well. No hitter in his first start uh, as a double A pitcher and had like a 1-1-2 one, one, ERA with, uh, with Erie as part of that super rotation. And you know, his fame kind of overshadows what Matt Manning has done, which is he entered the year as the youngest pitcher in that league and he's been one of the best pitchers in that league. On any other team without, with, you know, with not Casey Mize on his team, he'd be far more highly celebrated than he is, and that's saying a lot since he's in the top 30 prospects uh, somewhere, which you'll see the, the updated version. I don't know when, but you're gonna, we just finished it, and it's in the magazine. I'm not sure when it's going online, but it's a complete revamp of what we had in the past, and he's you know, way up there as far as pitchers are concerned.
1: Yeah, I mean, Matt Manning turned 21 this year, and he has held opponents at AA to a 184 batting average. We saw him in the Futures game last year. There was some growing stuff. He, he clearly was not done growing physically yet, and uh, we've seen him make the jump. You know, everyone always says the hardest jump to make in the minors is from high a to double A on both sides of the ball, and he's made the
2: jump without issue. No, yeah, no, he's been very, very good. He's got arguably a higher ceiling than, uh, than Mize, quite frankly. And what makes you say that? Because generally speaking... Other scouts have said that.
1: And that's what I'm saying, but what,
2: why? What about... What, because what makes Mize it? Is, Mize's stuff is... A little harder to command, and he doesn't command it as well. Uh, Ma- uh, Manning is athletic, young, and already has a super power arsenal. You know, we're talking a fastball up to 98, 99, power curveball, changeup that can be pretty good at times. He's big, he's imposing, he's athletic, and he's got you know, that big arsenal that you want to see. I mean, You're talking a possible number one with Matt Manning. He's really, really good. I, didn't, I don't think I saw him at his best, but when he flashed his best, there's no one on the planet who could hit it. Certainly
1: uh, two guys that the Tigers will be very, very happy to have at the front of the rotation if everything goes according to plan. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Pitchers will break your heart. They're very risky. Injuries yeah. come up, and we've seen Casey Mize, who durability was the question,
2: now go down with a shoulder issue. Sure. Casey Mize, Jesus Lazardo, A.J. Puck. Michael Kopech, Dane Dunning, Nate Pearson, I mean. <laughs> and we'd go through it every year. The, na- the yeah, names yeah. change, the... The story remains the same. We had two pitchers in the minor leagues this year who were prospects but hadn't pitched in the Trump administration. James Caprillion and Anderson Espinoza. And Caprillion finally got back on the mound but Anderson Espinosa still waiting. He might miss four years. He's just had his second TJ. Uh, there was a pitcher who started the other night in Tri-City who hadn't pitched since 2016. Um, so, and he was a trade piece at some of us, like Guadalupe Chavez of the Astros. I forgot he, he was out there, and he's back on the mound in the New York Penn League. Once again, pitchers are very risky.
1: So on that note, the guys you've mentioned so far that have impressed you the most have exclusively
2: been pitchers. Anyone on the offensive side of the Jared ball? Jared Kalanick was great. Um, in the two games I saw him, one or two games, I think it was one. But he homered. He, you know, he played decent center field. He showed you know, a, a mature approach at the plate. He's a competitor in every sense of the word. The man uh, hates to lose. And I think if you want to maybe make a uh, comparison as far as attitude is concerned, I think you're probably looking at a guy like Paul O'Neill who was super fiery. and Deep hole. I like it. Well, I mean, I, I, you hear him a lot um, as a broadcaster these days. But He's, uh, as a broadcaster, he's 180 degrees from what he uh, put out there as a player. But he was a, a, a excuse the, the language here, he was a red ass. And <laughs> I think Jared can be that too. Um, which is a good thing if you know how to manage it and channel it into better performance. But he's, you know, moved up to Modesto and I think he's still hitting pretty well there. So that's a guy who's been impressive on the hit side. I think Mario Feliciano at uh, Carolina has been really good when he catches and really bad when he DHs, which is interesting. And he's that does happen. I mean, we see a lot.
1: The guys not, need to not be not quite as rhythm. stark as, as what he's showing. But you know, guys need to be in the rhythm of the game. DHing is hard. You know, go have a at bat, then sit down for two innings, sometimes three. It's that's not easy. I'll go get hot again and be on time with everything. When you're not in the rhythm of the game, especially a young player, it can mess with you.
2: Well, in, in any case, you know he's young. He's extremely athletic. He's flexible, he's whippy, he's got bat speed, and he can put a ball out to a lot of, in, a, in a lot of parks. And, you know, I've seen him just kind of lay waste to really good fastballs. What else I like on the hit side? I mean, it's been slim pickings.
1: Now, when I think about, for me, a lot of the best guys I've seen this year, it has been on the pitching side. We talked about Mackenzie Gore. I talked about Josiah Gray with JJ. Chris Rodriguez with the Angels before he went down with another back surgery. was super impressive. Sam Huff
2: has been very Texas. impressive he hasn't quite hit for the power the superpower that he hit at at, at hickory but it would be hard to even maintain that pace oh uh, but also he's a he's a really good defender behind home plate um he's got he's a good athlete for his size he's he's a big he's boy athletes for four, a lot of people six he's,
1: four two thirty but he can he runs decently he's actually pretty as good. a
2: hitter he reminds me of peter o'brien i mean light tower power big frame same side of the plate now Peter O'Brien could not catch, Sam Huff can catch. So we're talking about a very interesting prospect. That was interesting. Yeah, and then I've... I forgot a guy who did not perform well in front of me, but La Pantera, Luis Robert. What a first half that young man has had. It was great for me in the fall league last year. I, as I've said on this podcast before, I saw him two games he struck out eight times and not at bats, which I saw the o- I've seen the only two four strikeout games of his career. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I don't... I don't uh, I don't need to to curse him anymore. He's a a good young player, and White Sox should be very excited about him.
1: Yeah, and he's, you know, the tools were always there. We see this a lot, guys. Come over from Cuba, there's some rust, but able to kind of figure it out after that first full year is under their belt. Yeah, I go back to, again, just some of the pitchers. When I think about who are the best players I've seen this year, Hans Kraus, Grayson Rodriguez had two really good outings that were impressive. It really has been a pitcher-heavy, I should say, the successful performances that have been eye-popping have been very pitcher-heavy for me this year. I know you've experienced the same. And so, I mean, I go back in the last few years, and you saw some, you know, saw Elo Jimenez come through. You saw, even last year, I went to the Cali, and I'm watching Gavin Lux going, this guy's really freaking good, and we need to get him on the 100 right now. I have not had a guy like that this year to that level.
2: No, I mean, we've had the guys that we've seen are on the 100. Well, I did Sam Huff's not, but... He could be not to spoil anything for the midseason update um speaking of, of uh but i like
1: uh, jaron duran he's a good player i wouldn't go with him where i went on last year when i came back it's like guys gavin lux banging the table but uh yeah no it's interesting and i'll be interested to see you know second half weather warms up see if uh the guys outside of triple a can start hitting see some of those guys uh, on the prospect side the bats really start to come around and reevaluate where everything is at the end of the year uh josh thank you so i'm much not for done
2: joining us. oh you're not done all right i'm not done keep going um i had you you mentioned Krauss. i'm going to go see kraus Yeri rodriguez uh pop-up Ro- prospect in the rangers roancy Contreras, like. uh nolan martinez and luis medina the the enigma and not and to keep off pitchers jonathan ornelas with the rangers he'll be there and uh anthony siegler with the yankees will be on charleston so i'm going on friday to see them for three games um, and that that should be a very interesting series on both sides. Um, I have the Eastern League All Star Game coming up. There's a Futures Game at some point. Julio Rodriguez is coming into Greensboro uh, next week, and then there's the Appy League, and um, that's that should be fun. There's there's a lot of interesting guys in the Appy League. Malcolm Nunez with the Cardinals. Uh, John I'm, Torres. As John well. Torres with the Cardinals. Yeah, that's the name I was searching for. Reese Hines and Tyler Callahan are with Greenville. Um, Anders Gomez. My personal cheese ball as far as pitchers go with the Pulaski Yankees, Uh, they've got Antonio Cabello as well, Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby Witt winds up with Burlington at some point. Um, There's going to be a lot of interesting guys in there, and increasingly, that's where pro scouting directors are sending their power toward the lower levels, even I know countless guys who are on AZL and GCL this year, and are going to be in GCL, and by AZL and GCL I mean extended coverage in Arizona and Florida, because obviously GCL hasn't started and AZL just did, Appy League, New York Penn League, uh, Northwest League, if you're not getting very often the the big boys, you need to get in on the ground floor. We and, have seen that. Uh, and I, I know some organizations who are not scouting AAA. Right. I've run into a couple as well where they've essentially said we're only going to scout AAA,
1: AA via MILB TV in terms of getting on the ground and seeing guys yourselves. They're saying A ball and below. And you're right. And the thought process is, by the time the stud prospect is in double A or triple A, you're not getting them. And it's been interesting to see the shift and, and just the number of scouts you'll see at these games. Uh, for a long time, uh, go out here to Durham, triple A, there'd be at least half dozen scouts every game. Last This past year, there's been games where going there's zero, one, two. It's been interesting to see, and, and you go to the lower levels now, um, whether it's Greensboro for, for you or when I've been out in the California League, and there's easily Uh, sometimes there's a dozen, maybe more, and
2: and I have yet to see less than six or seven. Yeah, I don't know if I've gotten that many recently, but um, that's where it is. It's the lower levels. It's uh, places where MILB-TV doesn't touch. You're not going to see too many MILB-TV AZL games, or any really, or GCL games. They can't scout that way. Uh, You can really do Trackman or Hawkeye, as I guess is coming, that way. But that's where you're going to get your... You're going to start plucking your lottery tickets from. Um, and you want to get as many of those lottery tickets as possible if you're making some sort of trade where you're not going to get a top 25 prospect as a centerpiece. And with the
1: trade deadline coming up, that'll be uh, interesting to see. We saw only one top uh, 25 prospect get moved last year in Francisco Mejia, and uh, we saw an enormous array of guys coming from uh, the DSL. Chris uh,
2: Archer, was, well, I guess
1: it was no top 25 prospect, but that was...
2: Meadows uh, and Glasnow
1: were no longer prospects, No, if
2: they were, they, they, they were previous top 25 prospects. Yes, I mean, they, I'll say it before and I'll say it again, they pulled a heist. I mean, that they did. I mean, that <laughs> was, that was a, I don't understand how that happened, but it did, and the Rays had, you know, Glasnow and Archer, uh, not Archer, Meadows, and then there's Shane Baz, who's cooking in the, uh, in the Midwest League. What a haul, what a haul
1: certainly uh certainly looking good for the Rays right now and we'll see how everything continues to play out in the future josh any final thoughts no now i'm done (laughs) all right well everyone thank you again for tuning in to another baseball america podcast for jj cooper and josh norris i'm kyle glazer uh go ahead and check out the most recent issue of baseball america Uh, we'll have our midseason top 100 in there as well as all sorts of uh post-draft goodness and uh Anything and everything you, you could ever want. Uh, we also have a preview on where things stand. We're only just over a year out from uh, the Olympics, so will have a nice article in there too on uh, where things stand for Team USA and what that process is looking like. And, uh, yeah, we'll continue to bring you all the good stuff. As Josh mentioned, we've got uh, the Futures game coming up in Cleveland in a few weeks, and uh, we'll continue to be out and about in minor leagues, uh, bringing you the stories of all the best players. Keep it at BaseballAmerica.com for all the latest. Once again, for JJ and Josh, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thank you for listening, everybody.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or Mc Sandwich. But you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.